turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Last week we looked together uh, at verse 16 and 17, uh, how we are to live a life of worship to our God. And it culminates in verse 17 where it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And now as we enter into uh, the rest of the chapter eight, uh, 3, beginning in verse 18 and on into chapter 4, uh, our Lord begins to outline and get into very specific detail of, well, what does that look like? What is the uh, whatever I do in word or deed? What is the all that I do in the name of the Lord Jesus? What does that look like? And he goes right to the home. So this morning we're going to be looking at Colossians 3.18. And we're going to take these uh, verses one at a time for the next few weeks. Today we're looking at just verse 18. It says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So the title of this sermon is A Wife's Submission. A Wife's Submission. And uh, don't worry, men. You'll have your turn next week. Lord willing, when we come together, uh, we will look at the demand upon you men as husbands and your loving, sacrificial leadership as Christ does the church. But today we want to just focus in on the role and the calling of the wife in a Christian home. My desire this morning is that wives would honor Christ by submitting to their husbands. That's really the, the point of it. If you connect it, especially to verse 17, that uh, you're doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, you're doing everything as his ambassador, representative, in his power, for his name and his cause. And the wife is to relate to her husband with that view and that purpose in mind. You know, uh, what's sad is that feminism has been a slow-growing cancer on our society for decades now. Today, feminism is just, it's not really a movement anymore, it's just part of reality. Uh, We today are reaping the destruction of the world's false teachings of men and women and marriage. And we see that into the extent today of homosexual marriage, transgender ideology, and the rest. But it began with feminism. And uh, feminism does not celebrate womanhood though it might sound like it does. The reality is feminism does not celebrate womanhood, but rather it erases womanhood by making it no different from manhood. It's not a celebration of women as God or God-made creatures or, or made in the image of God uh, to be womanly. No, it, it is a negation and a rejection of womanhood itself. 
And one key way that feminism destroys society is first by destroying marriage. Uh, a couple quotes from a couple feminists uh, from, from uh, the movement, you could say. Uh, one feminist said, uh, freedom, from w- freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage. Another feminist said, we cannot destroy the inequities between men and women until we destroy marriage. So they just outright say it. Uh, the, the way to really make a level, level playing field, the way to, for equality, is essentially to destruct society from the ground up. To undo the basic building blocks of society that God has written into creation, beginning with the basic building block of marriage. And this is not to mention other statements of other feminists in the movement that the lesbian is the ultimate feminist. Feminists' aim is not simply freedom, it's not simply equality for women. We would argue for those same things, but not from the same starting point. We would argue for equality of women, for women to be treated equally because they're made in the image of God. And especially, uh, uh, they are to be guarded, protected, and treasured in our society, and, and, and beginning in the home, in marriage. A godly woman is a prize to a man, a treasure. To be cherished, uh, enjoyed, and protected. But this is not the mindset of our world today. They want to be free from God's creative order. They want to abolish the God-created difference between male and female. And we're, we're just downstream of that. The reality is that feminists have overreacted to the abuses of male leadership. So yes, there have been and are abuses of male leadership and headship, absolutely. But feminism is an overreaction to that. They assume that the problem is the authority of the man, not the sin of the man. We would say if a man is abusing his leadership or his headship, especially in the home or in the church, it's an issue of sin. It's an issue of sin. And the sin must be addressed, not the structures. Because those structures are established by God clearly in Scripture. The truth is that men and women are created equal, yet different. God designed that men be men and that women be women they find their greatest fulfillment and they glorify God the best when they live in accordance with those different designs. That's why we have a ministry called uh, Redeemed Manhood and Redeemed Womanhood. We want to redeem masculinity and femininity uh, in the name of Christ. And we want to train and equip and encourage and motivate the men and the women of God to be men and women of God. 
And this is the way that you find best fulfillment. Dear ladies, uh, dear sisters, you want to have a fulfilling life. You want to exalt Christ? Then be a woman. Don't try to be a man. In marriage, the couple finds greatest harmony when the husband lovingly and sacrificially leads his wife and the wife willingly and submissively helps her husband. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Next week, we'll look at the husband's calling. Today, we're going to deal with the woman's calling in the context of marriage. We're going to see three things of how he says here, wives be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord in verse 18. I want to think deeply about what is, how is the wife's submission fitting to the Lord? And I would argue that there's three ways. Submission fits Christ's lordship. Submission fits Christ's creation. And submission fits Christ's gospel. So three ways in which the wife's submission is fitting in the Lord is that it is fitting to his lordship, his creation, and his gospel. We're going to spend most of our time on the first point, that it fits Christ's lordship because that's the emphasis of the text. And I want to be very clear what submission is and what submission is not. Because, again, this can be abused, and I want to help guard from that without compromising uh, what the true meaning of this word is. So we're going to spend most of our time on the first point, and then we'll, we'll wrap up rather quickly on the last two. All right, so first of all, submission fits Christ's lordship. Now the word submission, we have to get this right. The word submission is a combination of two Greek words, one meaning to place, and the other meaning under. So it is to arrange or place yourself under the authority or the leadership of another. It, it, it is not subjugation, but submission. It does not say wise be subjugated. It is be subject to. There's a vast difference between the two. It is to arrange or place yourself under the authority or leadership of another. Now, Christ is the ultimate head, the ultimate leader of the church and his people. And so Christ himself reigns supreme over all believers' lives. We are all commanded, male, female, whatever, we are all commanded to submit to his lordship. Every Christian's life is lived under the reign and the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no exception. The lordship of Christ is not a new topic for this letter. Uh, just, uh, just a few highlights. Colossians 1.10 calls us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then verse 13 it says that we were rescued from the authority of darkness and transferred to the kingdom or the authority of, uh, of uh, excuse me, of the, of the son of his love. So from one authority to the other authority. That's the Christian's salvation and conversion. You are rescued from the authority of darkness to the, to the authority of the beloved son. 
And then verse 18 says that Christ is the head, the authority of the body, the church. Uh, Colossians 2, 19 reminds us that he is the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. He is the head of the church. And then chapter 3, verse 1, it says, it reminds us that Christ is raised up. He is seated at the right hand of God, and we are to set our eyes and our minds, our hearts, upon Him in His exalted, authoritative, glorified, uh, kingly state. And then verse 17, as we have already looked at, Colossians 3.17, everything that you do, and every, whether it's great or big or small or, or mundane, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, all under His reign, all for Him, by Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Christ is Lord of every sphere and every person in those spheres of your life. Whether it's wives, husbands, children, fathers, parents, slaves or workers, masters or bosses, church members and church leaders. That's, those are the, the spheres and the people within those spheres that he is going to talk about how Christ reigns over his people in all of these spheres, in the home, at work, and in the world, and in the church. He reigns supreme over all. And all people are to submit to his lordship. And Christ, as our Lord, commands submission in the lives of all of his Christians in various ways. Submission is seen in Scripture in various relationships throughout all of society and all of life. In Romans 13, we are commanded to all be submissive to the government. In 1 Peter 5, we are commanded uh, that younger saints are to be submissive and respectful to older saints. In Hebrews 13, we are commanded that uh, the church is to be submissive to church leaders. In Colossians 3.20, just a few verses later here, uh, children are commanded to be submissive to parents. And then in verse 22, employees are to be submissive to their employers. So this is not something that only women do. And some, some women, for various reasons, have trouble with this word and with obeying this command. And if, if you have difficulty uh, with this doctrine, if you have difficulty with this command, wives, to be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, May I reason with you for a moment? Some women will quickly run out of the home and into the workplace and gladly, willingly uh, escape their God-given role in the home to go to a career and a workplace. And I would kindly ask, if that's you, if you have difficulty with this idea of submission to your husband, 
and yet you work outside the home. May I reason with you? Why is it that you would be so willing to accept a role of submission and place yourself under the authority of someone in the workplace or school or government or wherever else, but yet not in the home? You're doing it everywhere else. Why do you refuse to do this at home? I would argue that this is because feminism has crept into the church. It has crept into the church under the name of egalitarianism. Now, this is a vast subject, but let me quickly communicate the two sides of this doctrine. When it comes to the role and character and value of women, um, well, especially the role of women in the home and in the church, there is a complementarian view and an egalitarian view. The egalitarian view, you can kind of hear equality in there, egalitarian. The egalitarian view is that men and women are equal. Therefore, there is no difference between men and women. Therefore, all distinctions have, and, because, and this is because all distinctions have been erased in Christ. And therefore, men and women are interchangeable when it comes to roles or responsibilities. That's wrong. It's a half-truth, but it's a bad application. The, on the other hand, complementarian view, which is what we hold to in this church, the complementarian view is that God has made men and women equal in value, and He has made them for different roles. And both man and woman are specially designed by God to complement the strengths and the weaknesses of the other. Again, in marriage, the couple finds greatest harmony when the husband lovingly and sacrificially leads to his wife and the wife willingly and submissively helps her husband. Equal yet different. Equal in stature, equal in inheritance in the gospel, equal in the eyes of God as far as love and, and, and adoption but different in roles of life, especially in the home. So, before we get to explaining what exactly submission is and looks like, I think it's helpful to first think about what submission is not. Submission um, is uh, often opposed uh, because... The sad reality is that submission can be twisted and abused in order to mistreat women. That's an abuse of biblical truth. And that submission isn't the only way that that happens. It happens all over the place in Scripture. When people make the Bible say what it wants to and they abuse the truth of the Word of God to get their own way. That's a sin. And that's wrong. And Christ knows this, and so he guards women by providing guardrails for men and women's roles. So, submission is not, or submission doesn't mean that, for example, a wife's only purpose is to serve men. It's not what submission means. 
It does not mean that the wife must obey every demand of the husband. It does not mean that she puts the husband in the place of Jesus Christ, her Lord. It does not mean that she is forbidden to express opinions, her own personal opinions, or even to give counsel to her husband. Meaning, it doesn't mean that she can't disagree. As long as it's biblical. She, it doesn't mean that she stops all efforts to help her husband to grow in his righteousness and the various ways that she can do that. It doesn't mean that the husband is never wrong. Sorry, guys. Newsflash, right? You're, we're wrong. More often than we would like to admit, we need to be open to that possibility. Uh, it does not mean, submission does not mean that the wife is to be fearful or timid in the home. Men, do not intimidate your wives into submission. That is not submission, that's subjugation. Uh, submission does not mean that the wife is a doormat. It does not mean that the wife does not have equal value. As the husband. Okay, so let's get that out of the way. Now, what is submission? To submit is, is, is uh, submission is, is voluntarily yielding to your husband's leadership as an act of love and obedience to your Lord Jesus Christ. John Piper tells us that submission is the divine calling of a woman to honor and affirm the headship of her husband exercised over her and to assist carrying it out through her gifts. So six things briefly uh, that characterize a, a godly submission, a biblical submission of the wife in the home. And uh, we could... We could uh, transfer this to any other authority submission context, right? Any other dynamic where that is. Uh, us to government, to your employer, to your boss, to church leaders, to ministry leaders, uh, to uh, parents, to children. These things hold, uh, these values hold with those areas of authority and submission in the rest of your life as well. So I'm not only speaking to wise, but I am in a sense. One, a submission is voluntary. That's so important. Submission is voluntary. The, the, the specific way that this Greek word here to be subject, uh, it is, it's in the middle voice. It's not in the active voice or in the passive voice. What do I mean by that? It does not say... Be subjected by your husband. That's passive. And it doesn't say husbands must subject their wives. That's active. It's middle. It is, that the, it is the wife's responsibility to submit herself to her husband. So wives, you must choose to do this. And this choice to obey the Lord is a choice that only you can make. And nobody else can make it for you. So husbands, this means you don't command your wife 
all the time to submit to you. If she's in sin, then you gently bring her to the word of God and say, hey, look, this is what it says. This is the standard. This is where you're at. And I, I teach and admonish one another, right? As it says in scripture, I show you the difference between what the standard is and where you are. And how can I help you be more in line with the standard of scripture? But wives, this is something that you must choose to do, and it is something that you must do out of obedience to God. Secondly, submission is comprehensive. It's comprehensive. Ephesians 5, 24 is a parallel passage. It says it's almost exactly the same thing, but, but it, it, it gives a little bit more detail, and it's helpful. Ephesians 5.24 says that uh, submission is to be done in everything as a church is subject to Christ. So the idea here is that in every sphere of life, not just within the sphere of house duties, right? It's not just wives, you know, clean the house and wash the dishes the way your husband tells you to. It's not that. It's all of your life. Even when you leave your home, your husband is still your leader and your head in the home. So in all circumstances, also, meaning it's not based on anything in your husband, his merits or his faults. So this is where it it gets difficult, right? This is where you have to trust the Lord, as it says in 1 Peter 2 and 3, uh, where uh, wives, even if you have an unbelieving husband, uh, you must submit to your unbelieving husband. And we'll, we'll talk about the guardrails for that in a moment. But uh, you must have a heart of submission to even your unbelieving husband with the hope that you would win him. And even if your husband is a believer but yet a fool, you still must submit to him because uh, he is still your husband. Third, submission is a commitment. It's a commitment. That is, it is to be a continuous submission. Wives, this is your lifelong calling and pursuit as a wife. Therefore, it's assumed that as time goes on, you'll actually get better at that. Just as the intent is as time goes on, your husband will get better at his role. The the desire is that you are both committed to this, even when it's difficult and even when we don't do it the right way and perfectly, we are committed to obeying the Lord Jesus Christ in our perspective roles, and we, we desire to grow in those roles together. Fourth, commitment is positive. It might be hard to understand. How is this positive? Dear, dear sisters, submission is a role to be embraced, not a duty to be dealt with, not an obligation to be avoided or a task to be minimized. You are called, as you are called in every command in Scripture, you are called to do this with everything, with your whole life. So, dear sisters, place all of your resources, all of your energies, all of your talents, all of your abilities, all of your ambitions and focus it in helpful support of your husband's direction for the home and life. That's what it means to be a helper. That you are a team 
The husband leading the way and you saying, I got your back. Whatever you need, I'm here. I'm supporting you. Even if I don't agree, right? Even if I don't agree, I'll trust the Lord and I'll help you. Fifth, submission is a heart issue. Submission is a heart issue. As it is with every other command. It involves attitudes as well as actions. Right? It's not just, you know, I did the deed, right? What was your heart? Do you have a heart? So submission, it has this heart and mindset of respectfulness, gentleness, love, hopefulness, admiration, cheerfulness, and eagerness. Is your heart engaged? Six, submission is worship. Submission is worship. Again, as every act of obedience in the rest of your Christian life, this too is an act of obedience to Christ. As Romans 12.1 says, it is your reasonable and spiritual act of worship. Your obedience shows the worthiness, the supremacy, and the sufficiency of Christ. Remember, that's what this whole letter is all about. He reigns supreme, and He is everything I need for all of life. Now, let's flesh that out in the home. Right? That's, that's the point here. Now, again, it's always helpful when we understand these things. What's the other side of this coin? So we already looked at what submission isn't. We looked briefly at what what submission is. I think even more helpful. What is unsubmission? What What does it look like to have an unsubmissive heart and attitude and conduct? Because this is a real temptation. And the, our Lord called this from the beginning. In, in Genesis 3, we learn that there is a real, honest temptation, especially for wives, to somehow avoid or minimize this role of submission and help in your marriage. It's just part of the flesh. In Genesis 3.16 In God's curse upon the woman, he says, yet your desire will be for your husband. It's not that she will desire to have intimacy with her husband. It's used later on in the next chapter to talk about sin's desire for someone. The sinful temptation of the wife will be to exercise control over or to get her way with her husband, whether it's by direct pressure or by manipulation. Now there's a book by Martha Peace, Martha Peace, entitled The Excellent Wife. And it is just full of scripture. And it is so helpful. Uh, my, my, wife, my dear wife has told me it has been so helpful and encouraging for her, not just in this area of submission, but in all of her calling of what it means to be an excellent wife. So I would commend The Excellent Wife by Martha Peace to you sisters. In that book, she has a few pages of uh, what 
submission is not. Or rather, a wife is not submissive when... A few things here. Uh, Eleven things. A wife is not submissive. And there's a verse for all of these. For the sake of time, I want to just kind of go through these a little bit quickly. A wife is not submissive when she does things that are sinfully aggravating or vexing to her husband. That's unsubmissiveness. Secondly, a wife is not submissive when she does not discipline the children as she should, even after her husband asks her to. You understand that? Like, there's one set of rules when dad's home and another set of rules when he's not. That's unsubmissiveness. Because you're not honoring him as the head of the home. Third, a wife is unsubmissive when she is more loyal to others than to her husband. Including her boss, if she works. Four, a wife is unsubmissive if she argues, pouts, or gives the cold shoulder when she doesn't get her way. A wife is unsubmissive, fifth, when she does not stay within the limits of her budget. Well, that might hit close to home. Uh, Men, you got to do your part, right? Help be over the budget and set the vision and be engaged there and not, you know, have a double standard for you versus her. Of course. Six, a wife is unsubmissive when she corrects, interrupts, talks for her husband, or is too outspoken around others. That is, uh, she she, uh, puts the husband in a bad light intentionally by her uh, 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 failure for self-control. Seven, a wife is unsubmissive when she manipulates by deceit or tears, or begging, or nagging, or complaining, or anger, or even intimidation. Any kind of manipulative uh, tactic is unsubmissiveness. Eight, a wife is unsubmissive when she makes important decisions without consulting the husband. Now, that has to be a part of a result of communication between the husband and the wife, where the husband says, I trust you with this realm. Just make the right decision. Here are some guidelines and here are some parameters. But anything in there, I trust you, dear. Right? And that would be wonderful. But if there's big decisions or decisions where you're not sure, uh, submission would be con- to consult the husband. Nine. I think this is obvious. A wife is unsubmissive when she directly defies the husband's wishes. That are not sinful. Right? As long as those wishes are not sinful. Ten. A wife is unsubmissive when she worries about her husband's decisions. And then turns around and takes matters into her own hands. And last. A wife is unsubmissive when she does not pay attention to what he says. It's in one ear, out the other. All his opinions, all his thoughts, all his hopes and plans and, and decisions are taken along with a grain of salt. These are 11 marks of the unsubmissive wife. And I, again, remind you, those are written by a woman. Okay? Now, 
All of this falls under the believers and, and the wife's ultimate submission to Christ, right? As is fitting in the Lord, it says. So, so dear wives, Christ alone is your Lord and Savior. Let us not forget that. Your husband is not in the place of Christ. Because why? Christ is irreplaceable. And so the primary submission relationship that you have is with Christ. And then your husband. So there are two main constraints to your submission to your husband. Two areas, two scenarios where you can submissively disobey. One is when your husband commands what God forbids. If your husband tells you to do a sin, you can say, I submissively and respectfully disagree. I cannot do that. Because I must obey my Lord. And here's the verse. Two, when your husband forbids what God commands. When your husband forbids what God commands. If he tells you, don't read your Bible, you can say, um, I must, and I shall. Uh, you must not obey. So these are the two. When your husband commands what God forbids, when your husband forbids what God commands. Let's flesh that out a little bit. You must not obey your husband at the expense of obeying Christ and the Word of God. And, and, and your husband... Uh, is not allowed to force you to sin in any way. Your I'm saying that again. Your husband is not allowed to force you to sin in any way. For example, if your husband forbids you to go to church service or to evangelize your children or to help him spiritually grow, you must not obey that. Because you must gather with the saints, you must evangelize your children, you must point him to Christ. You must. And so you can respectfully decline to obey those commands or directions from your husband. On the flip side, if your husband demands you to partake in any blatant lie, if he commands you to cover up his sin, or even to partake in any immoral activity, even if it's in the marriage bed, you must respectfully decline and tell him, I, 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 I must obey Christ. I want to obey you. I want to submit to you. I just can't with this because you're asking me to, to rebel against my Lord. And it breaks my heart. Please don't ask me to do this. You see, that's how it's done. Now, for those of, of you who have an unbelieving husband, 1 Peter 3, 1 says, In the same way, you wise, be subject to your own husbands as, or excuse me, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. 
So, dear sisters, I, I, I grieve with you and I, and I hope with you that through your uh, uh, taking on of this role of a godly wife, I, I, I pray along and, and beseech Christ along with you that through your efforts, you would be a testimony of the gospel of Christ and your husband's heart and mind would be changed. And you have to have faith that through your conduct in the home that God can speak volumes to your husband. For those of you, dear sisters, who are not married, whether you're a widow or you're younger or you just haven't gotten married yet or anything in between there, how do you do this? First, maximize your current situation for Christ's kingdom. Use your singleness. Use the fact that you don't have a man telling you what to do and setting up limitations and you don't have an obligation to that husband. Use your freedom right now to serve Christ freely. Also, if you are not married... And if you're younger, if you, and you desire to be married one day, you must prepare for your future role. And so if you're a child, submit to your parents because you're going to have to submit to your husband later on. Submit to your boss. Submit to your teacher because you will have to submit to your husband later on. So prepare yourself and then understand the expectations of yourself and your future husband so that when the time comes, you choose carefully. You see. Oh, you don't want to submit to an unbelieving husband. It is a difficult life. Choose wisely, dear sisters. Can, your, can this man lead you to Christ? Will he treat you right? Will he die for you? Will he live for you? Will he love you sacrificially? And can you see yourself disagreeing, but yet going along with his decision because you respect him? Choose wisely, sisters. And third, in the context of the church family, we all, and especially our sisters among us, um, here can practice this submission by mutual submission. Ephesians tells us to submit to one another. And uh, there is, uh, especially in those areas and those relationships where there is a differentiation of authority. So there are plenty of safe places within the context of a church. There's many safe relationships where you can exercise that submission and not fear abuse or, or, or mistreatment because it's within the context of the church. At least it ought to be safe here. All right. Now, submission fits Christ's lordship. Second and third point, as I mentioned, are going to go much, much quicker. Submission, number two, fits Christ's creation. It fits Christ's creation. 
Remember, Christ is the creator of all things. That means when he said in Genesis 1.31 that he saw all that he made and behold, it was very good. The context is in there is that the marriage relationship and the headship and submission relationship and the helper relationship are part of all of it is very good. So this fits with creation because Christ made all things and he designed it this way. Also, in Christ's creation, he, he, he created both man and woman equal. We are equal in salvation, equal in sanctification, equal in our inheritance of future glory. Scripture is clear in Galatians 3 and 1 Peter 3. We are co-heirs of the grace of life and should be treated as such. And at the same time, under the creation of Christ, Christ created man as head. Men and women are created for different roles within the family. And he created man as head over the wife, Ephesians 5.23. We'll talk about that more next week. But as, he, as Christ created man, the man as head, he created the wife as the helper. In Genesis 2, she is called a helper suitable to him. So what that means is God specifically and explicitly fashioned the woman to be the man's suitable helper. She was, she was to be a companion and a helper, suitable helper, right? So she's suitable, meaning that she is fitting. She is a complement. That's where we get our understanding of complementarianism. She is a complement to the husband, not equal in authority, but a complement to his leadership. And then she is a suitable helper. Helper, meaning that she voluntarily uses her gifts to accomplish her husband's God-glorifying mission for the household. And we understand from the rest of Scripture that helper is not, a, is not a label of denigration, but a label of honor, since the Holy Spirit himself labels himself as our helper while still being our God. So what does this look like, the suitable helper? Well, it means that in terms of times time allotted, governing commitments, plans envisioned, or whatever else, the wife's primary ministry and disposition in life is to and through her husband. A biblical wife will not do anything to be involved, excuse me, a biblical wife will not do anything, be involved in anything, or pursue anything outside, uh, pursue any outside interest which would be harmful or neglectful to her husband. And I trust that, I mean, that comes with a love for your husband, right? But specifically, uh, love in a helping way. And third, this morning, submission fits Christ's gospel. Submission fits Christ's gospel. Again, to those who are unmarried to an unbelieving spouse, please do not underestimate your ability, God's ability through you to influence their heart as you display the gospel through your God-given role. 
the godly, submissive, helping wife points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? Well, because the wife loves her husband as the church loves Christ. Titus 2.4 says that wives are to love their husbands, and this is an affectionate kind of love, where your husband is your friend, and you, and you care deeply for him. You are affectionate to him. You are fond of him. And of course, this reflects, if you have that attitude, that reflects the church's heart for Christ, does it not? Also, the wife submits as a church submits to Christ. Ephesians 5.24 calls the wife to submit to her husbands as the church is subject to Christ. And so marriage points to the more ultimate and eternal relationship of Christ and his bride, the church. So to the degree that you fulfill this role, dear sister, you display the gospel in greater clarity and beauty. Also, you display the gospel because the wife is fulfilled in her role as a church is fulfilled in her role. You see, if the husband and the wife both fulfill their roles, there is much blessing for the wife to look forward to. She'll be secure, Proverbs 31. She'll be provided for and protected, Ephesians 5. She'll be nourished and cherished, Ephesians 5. And aren't these, dear church, aren't those things, security, provision, protection, nourishment, and cherish? Cherishments, aren't those things that we richly enjoy from our Savior? And so find fulfillment in that relationship. And lastly, you display the gospel because as you fulfill your calling to be a godly, submissive helper to your husband, you begin to adorn yourself just as the church is adorned in the sight of Christ. That is, you become more and more beautiful to your husband as the church is beautiful and desirable to her husband, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3 teaches us that a wife's adornment is to be a lowly and quiet spirit or a spirit of submissive helpfulness. That's the idea. These qualities, <clears throat> these qualities make a wife more beautiful to a husband. Husbands, you, you got to listen. These qualities of a lowly, quiet spirit or a spirit of submissive helpfulness, those qualities should, should and must make your wife more beautiful to you than hair dye or fake nails. And dear sisters, hold to the hope that even as beauty, uh, the, the beauty of the flesh fades with the passing of time, you can increase in beauty as the time goes on. And of course, again, this is a reflection of how Christ adorns us and will adorn us with beauty on that day when we see Him in glory. Isaiah 61.10, this is beautiful. Isaiah 61.10, I will rejoice greatly in Yahweh. My soul will rejoice in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. 
And then we see the culmination of this, the fulfillment of this in Revelation 21, verse 2. I saw the new holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Oh, dear Christian, may you pursue godliness and holiness until that day when you stand before Christ, beautiful. And dear sisters, have all hope that as you grow in this role, you grow in beauty. And though your husband may mistreat you, though your husband may not appreciate at times, oh, you can have great hope that your husband in heaven, Jesus Christ, he sees you as beautiful as you obey him. So church, this world, with all of its agendas, all of its movements, wants to destroy biblical uh, femininity, biblical masculinity, biblical marriage. But God calls couples to find greatest harmony as the husband lovingly and sacrificially leads his wife, and as the wife willingly and submissively helps her husband. And this is right because it fits Christ's lordship and his position as creator and his work in the gospel. This, in Christ's exalting marriages, this is how Christ will be exalted, in the husband and the wife fulfilling their role. And so, sisters, I beseech you, Take courage and honor Christ by submitting to your husband. And husbands, you need to come back next week. All right? Stand with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, you you know us, Lord, and you have designed us. You know how these things work best. So help us by faith to trust you and obey you. I pray, Lord, for the marriages in this church that you would continue to allow them and and cause them to thrive. I pray, Lord, that the wives would be encouraged to fulfill their role. And I I pray, Lord, that uh, the husbands of this church would appreciate that and and praise that in their wives when they see it. And that uh, they would uh, set their affections towards their wives and be moved to love them even more. Uh, Lord, exalt yourself in the marriages uh, in this church, you can, well, we can make and break your reputation in this world. Help us, Lord, to maintain uh, a right representation of the gospel as we relate to one another in our homes. It's all for you, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's see.